Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 27th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including the Star Wars live-action television series, which may or may not happen, uh, what we do in the Shadows TV series, Guillermo del Toro is taking a break, uh, Lethal Weapon 5 could happen, James Franco directed The Disaster Artist in character, and reboots of Ace Ventura, Young Guns, and Major League and more are in development. And in the water cooler, we'll be talking about the Magic Castle yet again, Shaun of the Dead, and Thor Ragnarok. This is Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Guys, uh, let's do another water cooler because a lot has been happening. We've been uh, out and about uh, seeing movies and doing things. Um, Last night, I went to the Magic Castle, which I am a member of, if, if you've been following this podcast. Um, and this week, actually, the uh, the nine days before Halloween is Halloween week at the Magic Castle, which is kind of like, it's kind of like their Christmas, if that makes sense. Um, and each year, they have a different theme for Halloween. This year, it's invasion, so it's like 1950s, like alien invasion kind of uh, theme, and the whole... Uh, Magic Castle is decked out like parts of it look like it's a spaceship other parts look like uh, you know they have like these like vines growing like like 1950s kind of like sci-fi like uh, looking vines all over the place I don't know it's very cool if you're a member you get like this uh, this uh, key I guess it's called like an RFID key and you can go to certain areas of the castle and like activate certain things and like aliens will come alive and you know sirens will go off and it, it's very cool and all the magic is themed for Halloween and they have a uh, the big showroom at the magic castle is called the palace which isn't that big but it, it's the the big stage where usually the illusionist acts are and usually there's two people playing on that stage but for Halloween Rudy Kobe uh, is performing there, and I'm not sure if either of you guys know who Rudy Kobe is, but um, 
if you don't know who he is, he's he's a famous magician. And if you grew up in the 1990s, you probably, even if you didn't follow magic too closely, would recognize him because he has a very iconic 90s look to him. And uh, he had his own comic book. He had his own TV show. Uh, and his, uh, you know, the first time I heard about the Magic Castle was seeing this TV special on TV about the Magic Castle. And it was seeing him perform... I think it was one of his first shows too. Perform live on that stage, uh, so he he invited me to come see him uh, for Halloween, and uh, I'm a big fan of his. And seeing him perform on that stage uh, kind of got me emotional. And he's just so great because a, uh, a lot of magic um, and a lot of bad magic is a lot of people doing the same things. You know, pick a card, any card, I'll find your card. You know, the same kind of tricks over and over again. Uh, and I'm not going to say that Rudy Kobe does things completely different, but every one of his illusions are is, is uniquely his own and feel it like, couldn't be performed by anybody else but him. That it just um, it just feels like you you know when you're watching any trick by him, it doesn't feel like it was you know he bought that illusion and put it into his act. It feels uniquely him, and uh, it was just great to see him and. Uh, got to talk to them after he's, he's a great dude and uh i had a lot of fun um ben what have you been up to you 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 went out to an event for Shaun of the dead yes last night i went to see uh Shaun of the dead at the greek theater here in los angeles edgar wright and uh edgar wright who wrote and directed the movie he co-wrote it with simon Pegg. um he was there to sort of do a little intro for the film there were like zombie you know people dressed up in zombie makeup and stuff uh all around it like fandango and focus features put this whole event together um as part of the 15th anniversary of focus features and um, it was cool. Lucy Davis was there, who is an actress who is in uh, Shaun of the Dead. I didn't realize that she was in this movie, but people who are listening to this show might also recognize her as the actress who played Etta Candy in uh, Wonder Woman. Um, and I had sort of forgotten that she was in this movie because I hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh, I got some video of the intro that they did where they sh- sort of uh, shared some memories from the set. And I just wanted to tell you guys one quick uh, little story. I'm going to try to put the video together and, and sort of um, embed it in a written edition of the water cooler for uh, on the site next week. But uh, one story that I thought was really funny was um, Edgar Wright was talking about how uh, at the time he, when he made this movie, he often got confused for a production assistant on his own sets. Like he looked, you know, he didn't have a beard at that time, I think. And he, he just sort of looked like a young guy. So a lot of people <laughs> didn't know that he was the director. So he was saying that one of the extras on the movie, uh, was actually, um, in the original star Wars. And he was like a guy in the cantina and he had horns or something like that's, that was one of the characters that he played in that movie. And so he was like this sort of legend in the, uh, the extra world, I guess. And, and so they got him on Shaun of the dead and, uh, he walked up to Edgar Wright, not knowing that Edgar was the director and he sort of leaned into him and he was like straight to DVD for this one, huh? And, <laughs> and and Edgar was like, he wasn't sure what to say. So he's just like, yep. And then walked away. So I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, you know, somebody not being aware of who the director was. And you know, that guy eventually found out. And oh, yeah. I went, put I went, two and two together. So I'm picturing in my head, you know, 20 minutes later when he's like in the scene and Edgar's like action. And the guy's right. like, oh, <laughs> yeah. shoot. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was pretty funny. But um, but yeah, Shaun of the Dead, the Greek. That's where I was last night. 
And Chris, you saw Thor Ragnarok, so obviously you loved it as much as everybody else loved it, right? Well, uh, not really. I mean, so yeah, I, I saw Thor Ragnarok yesterday. Uh, I didn't hate it. Um, you know, I'll say up front, I'm not a big Thor fan in general. I, I find those films to be the... And by the way, we're, we're, we're going to be spoiler free here. So just to yeah, warn people, I, don't don't worry. We're not spoiling anything. Yeah, I won't give anything away. But yeah, so so I find the Thor franchise in general to be sort of like the least essential of the Marvel films. But the trailers for this had me really excited. And also the cast has a great cast. But it just sort of, I don't know, like I said, I didn't hate it. It's very funny. It's, it's probably like the funniest Marvel movie, but... Beyond that, the script is kind of very weak. Like, the story doesn't really... There's no depth to it, I guess is the best way I can put it. I mean, there's a lot to like. I love Jeff Goldblum in it. He's great. Uh, Tessa Thompson is fantastic in it. Um, but the, the movie actually does not do much with Kate Blanchett, which really depressed me, because I, I love Kate Blanchett, and she has pretty much nothing to do, which is sort of like a Marvel villain problem in general, unfortunately. No, I agree with you, but the movie's funny, so, oh, yeah. um, and I think you'll have a good time, so I recommend going to see it, but I, I, I don't, I, I think the movie is currently 99% of Rotten Tomatoes, which, by the way, means that 99% of the reviews gave it a positive review. It doesn't mean that it, you know, got a 99 out of 10 for from every reviewer, um, but I think people are enjoying it. I'm not sure it... Uh, I think right now it's it's like one of the top Marvel movies of all time, review wise. Uh, I'm not sure if it need it, it deserves to be there, but I think if you go see it, you're gonna enjoy it either way. Especially if you like uh, more of the Guardians Galaxy kind of movies from Marvel. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, it's funny. So if you're if you're, if you're looking for a good time, you'll get that. It's it's an entertaining film. Ben, have you you said your opinion on Thor? Because I know you saw it since. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think so. I I uh, also despise the Thor movies; uh, they're my least favorite. Um, but this one, I had a lot of fun with, and I think I think for me, uh, I certainly recognize the issues that Chris is talking about. But I think because I laughed so hard, and because it feels so much like a Taika Waititi film. I was far more willing to forgive it for, um, you know, any sort of shortcomings that it, it had. So I, I ended up having a lot of fun with it. I um, I think, again, story-wise, yeah, there's not really that much there. But uh, And, yeah, Kate Blanchett, I was also a little disappointed that she didn't have much more to do. Um, but the cast is so good, and they sort of elevate the material for me. Um, and I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't crazy about the action and the way that that all played out, but I can't decide if it's just because I'm not, I'm growing, um, I don't know, bored with superhero movie action in general, because this is what, like the 18th Marvel film or something like that. Um, or if just this specific action sequence was not really handled that way, or, you know, this, this, the action in this movie was not handled as well as it could have been. But, um, I, again, I all think the it's, I think it's the latter. Yeah, that's why I'd vote. Uh, I mean, even even Spider-Man Homecoming, which was universally praised, the action in that was not that right. fantastic. Um, but let's get into the news because we have a lot to get to. A lot has happened over the last day. So Dave Filoni is out promoting the final season of Star Wars Rebels, and he's kind of hinting that he might be working on a Star Wars live action TV show. A am I reading between the lines too much or is that what's going on, Ben? 
Uh, I mean, it certainly sounds like it to me. Um, it could be wishful thinking on our part, but we'll I'll read the quote and let the, the listeners decide. So io9 spoke with Filoni and asked what he would be doing after Star Wars Rebels comes to an end. And here's his quote. I have an incredibly talented group of people working here at Lucasfilm. They've worked for me all 12 years that I've been here. So I feel indebted to them and want to keep creating work for them so they can use their abilities and tell great stories. I also want to keep pushing myself into areas that are challenging and new. I've had a lot of experience now interacting with live action directors like Ryan Johnson, who have been really wonder, uh, wonderful to me and showing me what their production is like. I want to celebrate stories, and it doesn't matter what medium it's in. I don't care, big screen, small screen. I just need space to tell a story, uh, and I do it as best as I can. That's my goal in the end. So we'll have to see what form that takes in the future. But let's just put it this way. I learned from the best. So that's the quote. And, you know, we were sort of talking in our Slack channel about whether or not he, you know, he he brought up Ryan Johnson and the live action elements sort of unprompted there. Um, so we were wondering if that is maybe some insight into his thought process and sort of where he wants his career to go. We spoke to him in 2014 and he told us that he was interested in directing one of the live action spinoff movies. If that opportunity ever presented itself. Um, we know that Disney is about to launch its own subscription service and uh, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney has said that they're going to be creating original series specifically for that platform um, Brad Oman actually suggested on this podcast when that news broke that uh, Disney might end up using that subscription service as a home for a live action Star Wars show, which has been in the works for a long time. And there was one uh, called Star Wars Underground where like 50 scripts were written and, you know, it was ready to go basically, but it proved sort of prohibitively expensive at the time and the show never came to fruition. But um, that's a, a live action Star Wars TV share, series is something that Disney and Lucasfilm have been thinking about. So we were just sort of reading between the lines of Filoni's statement and wondering if this means that he is sort of like hinting at maybe he'll be the one to bring this show into existence because you know it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of time. Um, Peter, what do you think? I mean, I feel like if I had to bet on yes or no, I would bet on yes, that, that that's where he's going to next. I mean, I think the dream probably was for Filoni to direct a Star Wars standalone film. But then, you know, all this all this stuff happened uh, in Lucasfilm with uh, these new these uh, more uh, unseasoned directors not being able to pull things off quite as uh, smoothly as Kathleen Kennedy had hoped. So, I, I you know, I, I've said on the podcast, I, I've heard that they're trying to hire more seasoned directors for Star Wars projects in the future. And um, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, um, you know, Filoni is going to have to get his uh, chops elsewhere before he, you know, get, gets uh, his name on a Star Wars standalone movie. And what better place to do that than in the TV realm, which he has already proven himself in, in, in mm -hmm. animation. So that's that, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, also in the news, uh, while out promoting uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, we have found out that Taika Tiki's uh, popular movie, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a mockumentary, a vampire mockumentary, um, is going to get a TV show for the United States. Uh, Chris, what do we know? Right. So Taika Waititi said, basically, we're trying to develop a U.S. version of What We Do in the Shadows 
uh, set here in the States. So that's basically all he said. He doesn't really clarify if that means it's going to be a complete reboot in the sense that it's going to be the same characters but played by American actors or if it's going to be a different set of American vampires but in with the same format. So there's not a lot of details, but that's basically what he said they're working on at the moment. Now, when I first heard this, I, I, I saw a headline and it was like, what we do in the shadow is being remade for the USA. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? Because first of all, you know, it's such a good movie. It's not like it's subtitled. It's not like, um, you know, it's not accessible for American audiences. And then when I found out it was a TV show, it made perfect sense to me because it seems like they could, uh, you know, go. They could make a whole season out of that movie. Like it, almost when I was watching that movie, I was almost thinking, like, why isn't this a TV show? Like this is almost like Real World with vampires. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I want to see the TV show version of this, and this is what this is going to be. W- what do you guys think? Do you have any uh, thoughts, yay or nay, on this? Chris, what uh, do you think? yeah, I mean, like you said, Peter. Uh, if I had any complaint about what we do in the shadows, it was that I actually thought it was a little too episodic for a film. Like it really did feel like a TV show edited together into a film. So I could absolutely see this working as a TV show. Um, it, it does make sense to me. Again, the only thing I'm unsure about is if it's going to basically be a reboot or if it's just going to be different characters. Yeah, I wonder if the New Zealand setting and actors had anything to do with that movie's charm or had more to do with that film's charm than we're giving it credit for. Because I don't know if you can just sort of plop American actors into that same sort of dynamic and have it work as well. But I guess we'll find out. And that's a good point. I, I didn't even think about that. Um, one thing I do hope that when people end up seeing Thor Ragnarok and they find out about uh, Taika Waititi, um, that they go back and explore his filmography, they go see What We Do in the Shadows, which I don't even think is his best movie. You guys should go back and see his earlier work. You should go see Boy, uh, Eagle vs. Shark, and I think there's like two others, or or, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, and there's another Mm -hmm. one, right? Um, And those are all fantastic movies, and um, they're worth exploring. Um, You know, They're very accessible, and they're very funny and heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, Also in the news... Guillermo del Toro is taking a year off from directing. What does this mean for Fantastic Voyage, Ben? So Fantastic Voyage is a um, – 20th Century Fox is looking at remaking Fantastic Voyage, which is the 1966 sci-fi movie about a group of scientists that shrink down to you know atomic level to enter into the body of – um, some a guy to to save his life from the inside out, basically. Um, and they travel through his bloodstream, and it, it was you know lauded for its effects and its uh, intricate sets and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I just rewatched the trailer. I embedded that in the uh, article that I wrote, and it looks super cheesy and and sort of hokey today. But there is a lot of potential for a modern remake of this. And Fox has been trying to get it going for a long, long time, over a decade, maybe maybe even closer to two decades at this point. James Cameron is producing the movie. They flirted with a bunch of different directors. Ultimately, they found that uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it. So uh, 
basically he was set to start production in the spring of next year, but he just announced, uh, according to Variety, that he is taking a year off. He said, I'm taking a sabbatical for a year as a director. I was going to do Fantastic Voyage, but after The Shape of Water, I need to take pause. So it's unclear whether that means he is abandoning the project altogether or if Fox is willing to, you know, sort of wait on him for for to take that year off. Um, I am sort of under the hope that they end up waiting because I feel like he's a really great match for that material. Um, he's always been terrific at creating, you know, visually interesting um landscapes on film and like his production design is always off the charts. So I think you know you know, taking him and having James Cameron still on board as a producer. Those guys have been friends for a long time. They've been looking for a project to work on together for years and years. So hopefully uh, everything works out where they can just sort of bump the whole thing back by a year and accommodate his uh, time off. But um, have any of you guys seen Fantastic Voyage? What what do you think about this? (laughs) None of us have seen Fantastic Voyage, I take it. I actually... I have not seen it. I'm a I'm a big uh, Del Del Toro fan, so I'll see anything he wants to make. But I actually have not seen it. I I have also not seen it. Um, I I do think it's a shame that he's taking a year off. I mean, it, it's good for him, but uh, you know, and I love him as a director. Uh, but he's only made ten films in the last thirty years, despite all the stuff he's had in development, and not able to get in into the actual c- cinemas and into production. Um, you know, taking a year off means we're going to get less Del Toro, and that to me is lose lose. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's still. I should mention that he's still planning on producing stuff, and he's working on that. Um, I think it's it's called Troll Hunters, that show that animated series for Netflix, and I think he's, which is actually you know, very good, by the way. If you have not checked it out, e- even for adults, it's a very serialized uh, TV show. It's 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 good. Hmm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he's still producing stuff, so it's not like he's going to stop his output altogether. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I would love to see more um, films with his name on it as director. Okay, also in the news, uh, Lethal Weapon 5 might happen because nothing really matters anymore is the headline that you wrote for the site, Chris. Tell us about it. <sighs> yes, so... <laughs> Uh, even though we all pretty much assumed the, the Lethal Weapon franchise was over and done with, uh, Deadline has a story that Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and original Lethal Weapon director Richard Donner have been meeting with Warner Brothers to basically put together a fifth film. Uh, I mean, there's no details on what that film would even be about, and Lethal Weapon 4 pretty much literally closed the book on the franchise. There's literally a scene in the credits where a book closes to signify this. The series is done, but uh, apparently not. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to come out of retirement as cops to track another case. Who knows? But this is this is the world we live in. So here we are. <laughs> now, I'm, the original Lethal Weapon was a good movie, right? It like oh yeah, it's, it's it, great. It, 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 it honestly, a lot of what action movies became could be credited to either Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. And um, the sequel's not so great. Um, yeah. Mel Gibson in recent times, I think, uh, kind of has uh, is living in a, a shadow, a dark shadow. Uh, personally, I feel like there's a. I wanted to ask you guys this. Um, there are a lot of sh- shitty people in the movie industry, 
And um, generally, that doesn't reflect on the the product that they produce. Like, I don't watch a Tom Cruise movie and think about Scientology, and maybe that's a bad thing. Um, but w- one of the only people that it really reflects on me when I watch movies starring him or directed by him is Mel Gibson. For some reason, I can't get past, uh, you know, the things he's done and how angry of a guy he just seems. And it, it, I, I don't know, he rubs me the wrong way. It, it, like, do you guys have that similar thing with other actors, directors? I definitely have it with Mel Gibson. And I think that's something, you know, with all of these allegations and stuff that have been coming out over the past few weeks, I think that's something that we as a movie going public are going to have to continue to grapple with in a major way. Like how how willing are we as an audience to turn a blind eye to, um, you know, the behavior of these people off screen and everybody's line, everybody's personal line is going to be different there. And and everyone is sort of obviously free to to make whatever decisions that they want. I'm not, you know, advocating for one way or the other that everyone should uh, treat this stuff. If you're able to treat these movies as pure escapism and and, you know, completely ignore that stuff, then I guess more power to you. But I, I think the way that um, all these headlines coming out and the way that our, our culture is sort of progressing, it's going to make it harder and harder for for that uh, gap to remain as large as it has been, I think. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like with older things, like older things Mel Gibson made, I can watch them. I can't, you know, I can separate who he became or I guess who he always was from the image he presented back in the day because he used to be like, he was presented as a likable guy. Uh, there was actually like a whole Simpsons episode where he's he's a guest star, and the joke is that oh, Mel Gibson is such a nice guy, and that was like before, you know, all the allegations came out. So I'm fine with older stuff, but I do feel like there has to be a line drawn. Like Mel Gibson was just nominated for best director at the Oscars last year, and that's that's crazy. Like that sh- that shouldn't be happening anymore. <laughs> right. No, I don't know. It will be interesting to see if this actually happens. It it sounds like one of those wishful thinking. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the studio for wanting to do a sequel because sequels are, you know, less less of a risk uh, for them. But it just doesn't seem to me that unless it was a complete reboot of some kind, it doesn't seem to me. I I don't want to see those guys running around doing their thing at their age, Uh, not to be ageist. But I, I just don't think that's a, I don't think that's a good movie, a good action movie. Um, no. Yeah. And uh, talking about reboots, uh, there are going to be a lot of reboots in the work. Reboots of Ace Ventura, Young Guns, Major League and more. Ben, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Yes, Morgan Creek Productions, which is the um, film company that was responsible for Ace Ventura, uh, Young Guns, Major League, Pacific Heights, um, Nightbreed, Dead Ringers, a bunch of movies like this, um, has rebranded into Morgan Creek Entertainment Group. And now they are basically looking to um, sort of revamp a lot of these properties across film and television. So. Uh, the idea right now is to create a Dead Ringers TV series. They are apparently in talks with an unnamed showrunner about that right now. Uh, for Young Guns, they want there to be a movie and a TV show, and they're looking for a new group of up-and-coming actors for that. Um, and they are thinking about doing an Ace Ventura movie reboot. Um, and they want, theoretically, they want Jim Carrey to come back to pass the torch to, quote, 
a long lost son or daughter of Ace possibly showing up at his doorstep and taking over. Um, so, I mean, guys, this is where we are right now, where they're talking about remaking Ace Ventura. That movie is so um, Jim Carrey's performance in that is so singularly weird and and singularly um, manic. I cannot fathom anyone else being able to step into that and do anything remotely similar and have it work as well as it did. That was that movie was such a product of its time and such a product of its star. Uh, I cannot fathom an Ace Ventura movie remake working well. And then also this guy, uh, the president of the company, David Robinson, said, because it's episodic in nature about a pet detective, it also lends itself to a traditional single camera series franchise. So they're also talking about maybe doing an Ace Ventura TV show along with that. So um, just the idea that a businessman had to issue this statement involving a pet detective sort of cracked me up. But uh, but I don't know. What do, you, do you guys think there's any way that an Ace Ventura movie could be good? Am I being too short-sighted here? No, I think you're you hit it dead on. By the way, this executive that issued the statement sounds like the uh, what people general with the general public pictures a Hollywood executive saying and thinking, and it, it's just so <laughs> sad. Um, Ace Ventura it was such a, a character of its time. I don't, I'm not even sure it plays well today. Uh, the zaniness and the the whole thing. I'm not sure if you know this, but they actually made a reboot for Ace Ventura. It was called Ace Ventura Pet Detective Junior and it was a direct to DVD movie. I'm not I'm not even kidding. This is in uh, I think 2009. I've never seen it. I've heard it's horrible. It has a little kid playing a uh, young Ace Ventura or maybe his son. I'm not even sure. Yeah. Um but it's bad. Uh all of this sounds bad. Chris, do you have any th- thoughts on any of these reboots? There, uh, yeah, I, I think you both pretty much <laughs> summed it up really well. There's really no good ending to any of this. And yeah, Ace Ventura, anyone doing a new Ace Ventura is just going to be doing like an impression of Jim Carrey, I guess, which is just very strange because to think about that. Because like I, I remember seeing that movie as a kid in theaters and it was like a big thing at the time. And to think now they're going to like reboot it with someone just redoing a weird impression of that is very strange. And I can't picture it really. I mean, yeah. What if Young Guns is kind of like the YA take on the Western? So kind of like, um, you know, uh, Hunger Games or Twilight, but a Western. Like, I don't know. I think that could possibly work but maybe i don't think kids care about westerns anymore maybe maybe yeah maybe westworld is making western is bringing the western back probably not maybe maybe it'll be like in the future and we'll be like with laser guns that's what i could see happening like something making like a gritty young guns reboot in the future change the genre entirely nice yeah okay lastly in the news uh james franco's the disaster artist is gearing to come out uh next month and uh, we are learning that he directed the whole movie in character ben tell us about it yes so i was at a screening of this movie earlier this week and uh james franco who uh directed the film and plays tommy wiseau who if you guys don't know what the disaster artist is about it's about the making of the room which is widely considered one of the worst movies ever made uh it was written produced directed by and starred this guy named tommy wiseau who is a total just a a, very much a character a really weird dude um and dave franco james's brother plays greg sestero who wrote a book called the disaster 
disaster artist. So that's where this whole thing came uh, came about. It's basically the disaster artist chronicles the making of the room. Um, and Franco, <laughs> James Franco and Dave Franco were there in a Q&A after the screening, and they were talking about uh, how weird it was that James directed the entire movie in character as Tommy Wiseau. And I, I had never heard that before. And, and they weren't um, joking. They were. No, no, absolutely not. They were not joking at all. And, and James says, uh, I quoted him here. When else am I ever going to direct a movie and play the, the, uh, m- wait, when else am I ever going to direct a movie and play a movie where the lead is directing a movie and playing the lead? Never. I'm probably never going to do that again. I'll just tell you, sometimes it works to do the Daniel day Lewis. Um, and then he talks about how much of a strange experience it was for everybody when they're coming to the set, because this film is full of cameos of a bunch of great comedians. Seth Rogen, you know, stops by Paul Shear is in there, Jason Manzukis, um, a lot of really funny people are in this movie. And, and <laughs> Dave was saying, uh, after a while we would sort of get used to it, but there were so many cameos in the movie where every day a new person would show up and we'd kind of have to prep them. We'd be like, so you're not going to be around James today. So it was so bizarre. Um, Dave said, at this point, there's not much he can do that surprises me anymore. But I remember Seth coming up to me and being like, this is weird for me. That's your fucking brother. How are you keeping it together during any of these takes? <laughs> and uh, Franco sort of, um, James Franco, sort of, uh, I guess, reasoned that the reason that he did it was he had he was wearing two and a half hours worth of prosthetic makeup. And he thought it would be stranger if he came up to everybody in a normal James Franco voice. Um, So he just decided, you know, when, once that makeup goes on, I'm just Tommy Wiseau for the day, basically. Um, And the movie is really great. And I highly recommend everyone uh, see it. He, James Franco, I I legitimately think he should be in, in the awards conversation for the work that he does in this movie. He really disappears into that character. Wait, Um, his, his work as an actor or a director? Uh, as an actor, um, the movie itself is directed fine, but I think his work as an actor is, is really like the standout thing in the film. Um, so man, yeah, you guys should definitely check this out. And now, now you'll be able to watch the movie with the knowledge that the Tommy Wiseau that you're seeing on screen was actually (laughs) James Franco directing everyone in that same voice and the same weird, uh, physicality and makeup and everything. So it's a, a fun piece of trivia. That is nuts. I can't wait to see it. Um, I missed that screening last week. Hopefully I can see it. Uh, I think it is screening next week sometime. Um, ben, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can people find you? I'm also at SlashFilm, and I'm on Twitter at SeaEvangelista413. You can find me at SlashFilm.com, on Twitter, at SlashFilm. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and on the site where you can comment on each episode. Uh, Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, That helps us out quite a bit, especially if you love the podcast. Uh, If you have questions or feedback, send it to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. And uh, thank you for listening. We will see you on Monday.